like that you've gone from I'm too nervous to I'm a little too tipsy. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome back to the Damsels Podcast. I'm your host, Liz, and I am here with your princess, who is in another tower, Kendra. Hello. And we also have Allie with us, who is a world champion waltz worker and enjoyer of fine port. Hello. And I don't mean ports like where you dock a ship. I mean like ports like wine. <laughs> Your mom used to hang out in dockside bars, Johnny. <laughs> Back in those ships, boys. Everybody said, Brandy, she's a fine girl. She's a fine girl. What a good You can definitely right. tell part two has been the imbibement episode. This is fun. <laughs> um, and we are here with our second part of our Avatar The Last Airbender. I guess we could call it a series. I don't know. We will probably do more of these on Avatar characters in the future. It's almost we... like they made a lot of really good female characters. Oh my god, yeah. Like, there's more than Wait, one. what? These are supposed to be about female characters? Oh, yeah, sorry. What? <laughs> Spoilers. I know. We are going to talk about uh, our favorite love to hate her, hate to love her, love to love her, and hate to hate her, Azula. Uh, from what Kendra has told me, she has kind of a lot to say about Azula. You could say I'm fired up. <laughs> oh my god, I want to fight. I've definitely been sitting on that for a while, just so you I, know. That's totally fine. Have you been sitting in the hot seat? Right. <laughs> I'm leaving. I love it. I love it. <laughs> I'm leaving, you guys. Uh, for those who don't know and who have not seen the show, again, we ask, why are you listening to this? But also, thank you for listening to this. Azula is kind of introduced in the second season as another villain. Um, she is Zuko, Prince Zuko's sister. So obviously, she's Princess Azula of the Fire Nation. And she's real complex. Like, holy shit, there's a lot going on. Kendra, start us off. All right. So as we mentioned, if you have already listened to the Katara episode, I, I watched the entirety of Avatar The Last Airbender as a 32-year-old having no no concept of what it was. I'd never seen a little bit of it before, um, other than the prolific pop culture, everything changed from the Fire Nation attacks, which is everywhere. So I binged it and loved every bit of it. And I didn't like Azula really at all for the majority of the series, right up until the very end. And then the ending of her made me go back and look through the lens of the series and the parts that she participated in. And I, she might be one of my favorite characters now. And I, I know there's so many good characters to choose from. Azula might actually be my favorite character. Um, and I think it boils down to Gifted Child who was very much exceeding expectations. They clearly show she was far and away the better firebender than her brother at the time. Um, just apple of daddy's eye, very much at his right-hand side, helping him plan shit, helping him get all of his war plans in order while Zuko was running around chasing his honor. And then Zuko caught up to her, and she was no longer special. And do you know how devastating it is to be so good so early and then be not special anymore. Now you're just average because everybody else caught up and the pressure that that puts on a 14-year-old girl and then her complete descent into madness because she can't cope with that pressure. I love everything about it. And it, uh, I feel bad for her by the end of it. And I don't, I'm, I just appreciate the series for flipping the disdain and like, wow, she's just a complete bitch all the time to everybody, even her friends. She's just awful. I... I kind of see Azula from multiple lenses. Like you said, you watched the show, got to the end, and then saw her from a completely different lens than you had seen her originally through. And while I still am not like a huge fan of Azula, I definitely have a lot of empathy for her situation. Um, and I feel I'm so glad that she was in the show. Um, I'm so glad that she was a character that we got to be exposed to um, because she's such a deep, complex character. And where I kind of where I kind of start with her is the idea of ambition in women. And this idea that like Azula was made to be ambitious. The problem is is that she wasn't a boy. She 
I think would have been looked at so much differently um, through the perspective of her mother, especially, and others if she was the quiet young prince that Zuko was, whereas she became this person who was told her whole life that she was successful and that she was going to succeed at things. And then she became that ambitious person and grew into that. And I think when things started really falling apart for her, that was where she started realizing, okay, well, like maybe I'm not fitting into the structure that has been built for me for my whole life, you know? I just, I love how, like, she 100%, like, that is the end-all, be-all. She never has the breakthrough because, and I don't know why Iroh just abandons her completely. Like, 100%, like, shitty uncle. I love Iroh. But, like, how are you just going to take care of the boy and not the girl? Because what about you see, her mom, though? Yeah. Her mom yeah. seems kind of almost scared of her. Not, well, not scared, but just... Very she knows. She her. knew something was like, Azula is fierce in a way that I don't know how to handle. She takes after her dad. But, like, their mom also seems scared of her husband the entire time. So, like, there's that he to say that... using her. I'm sure they, they can't yeah. pull out of that because it's a kid's show, but he must have been... It's so heavily implied. Yeah. Like, yeah. she's so timid around him, and it's like, it is everything I can do to save my son. And I know my daughter is safe because she is like that already so she doesn't need protecting to a degree um and i haven't done the the comics where like zuko goes after his mom so i really need to fill that blank in because i i to be fair don't know if i have the entire view of azula without that missing piece but yes and she talks about it i think on the beach at ember island she's like yeah my mom hated me that's okay it's not okay she just doesn't know how to say she's not okay because she's not allowed oh. to show any weakness because as a girl you have to be better than all the time and she was for so long, and then she starts to lose that edge, and then Zuko gets his honor back, and she's like, fuck, now they're going to pass me over because now the prince is back, now and I'm no longer first. better. So and she's under this constant pressure to outperform and be the top dog in everything. So one thing I, I find interesting about Azula is like her name origin, which she was born to always be living in the shadow of a man that came before her and did great things or great in, I guess, Ozai's perspective, Ozai being her father. Um, Cause she was named after Fire Lord Azulon, who was like supposedly a great powerful leader. So her entire life, like she was being molded into the mold of a great man. And she was a woman trying to cope with that her whole life. And on top of that, being, you know, doted on by her father, whereas Zuko was doted on by their mother, not being able to be a young woman growing up in a world and having a connection to a, a, another female that is close to her and a guiding figure, I think is a very significant um, loss for her that they depict really well in her kind of emotional turmoil because you're totally right. Like she's not okay with the fact that her mother thought and saw her as a monster. She's not okay with that at all. She just has been molded so much to be the spitting image of this other powerful man that she has to say that she's okay with it. She's forced to basically come to this reality not even being given the permission to like feel her feelings about it. So interesting that you mentioned not having like the mother to look up to. And maybe this is the difference between Katara having Gran and Azula having nobody. Cause like yeah. Katara also like, you don't have that mother figure from a very early age. And Azula's mom took a step back from a very early age, but you can definitely see like the complete difference in the way that they both approach that. But Katara never had that expectation levied on her. So I would really yeah. be interested if Katara had that, like, hey, you've got a lot to live up to. You're going to grow up to lead the water tribes, right? Right? Like, are you good to your brother? Right? Like, that competition didn't exist. And that drive... You've got to step up for your chores. Help me deliver babies. Help me run this place. Well, Katara was but, also given... I mean, she's a bender, too. Whereas, oh, yeah. like, Sokka wasn't a bender. So, like... True. So that, that level yeah. of, I can't go flex on him. Yep. Yeah, um, exactly. So Azula did have um the two old ladies. The two old, the two well, ladies, yes. Well, yeah, but they didn't see. There wasn't very a very maternal relationship portrayed there. It just seemed like they were responsible. Oh, that was definitely subservient. 
Oh yeah, hundred yeah. percent. They were they were after obviously not only their own interests, but like the interests of the Fire Nation. Like they didn't care about Azula as a person. They just saw her as a figurehead, and they were there to serve the figurehead and to critique her and be say like, "Oh, your yeah. hair is out of place." Like that that kind of harsh criticism. I mean, it wears you down. It's exhausting, and it when you see somebody who was raised in that kind of environment too, it has a big effect on them. And I think my favorite Azula moment, like we're going to jump all over with her. And I apologize. Um, the ending scene where she and Kentara having this fight and Zuko 100% takes that lightning bolt hit that she intended for Katara. And she's literally coming undone at the seams. The music for that scene is sad. If you go back and listen to that, it's not epic battle music. It's sad. And I love that they did that because you know who's going to win this fight. You know she's not going to come out on top because she's already defeated by the time she even takes that field because she has she's disintegrating before her eyes and you can see it when she's talking to herself in the mirror and her hair is all crazy and she's firing people for like letting her maybe choke on a cherry speed or whatever the fuck it was and she's like you're you're fired and you're banished left and right she's already done and that yeah. fight is closure for the series and I appreciate that but I also appreciate that everybody knows the writing is on the wall when it even starts and that to me is super poetic to just acknowledge that she's already lost herself so even if she were to win the physical fight it doesn't even matter anymore and that's just really cool to me. Speaking of the writing being on the wall and sort of leaning into this idea of a descent into really, I mean, no madness is deserved, but like a really undeserved madness. I personally draw a lot of parallels between her and Daenerys Targaryen from Game of Thrones. And I feel like Kendra probably oh, is absolutely. having feelings right yeah. now. <laughs> like, absolutely. I, obviously, I mean, we, we don't have the book yet because George R. Martin is off busy doing fuck all. <laughs> but I mean, when seeing it in the show and depicted in the show, I'm you kind of have a feeling and Matt Pat, who does the um, movie theory and TV theory videos on YouTube, did a theory on Daenerys going mad like long before it was even a, a, a thread in the show. But her descent into madness over over the final season of Game of Thrones, to me, I think draws a lot of parallels with Azula, like not necessarily in their behaviors. They both make such extreme decisions based on their positions. And her decline was definitely not as steep as Danny's was. Like we we knew that Azula was put under this she she is always, for lack of a better term and no pun intended, but always had her feet to the fire. She has always been told that like these are the expectations that you have set this is your fault that we see you this way this is your fault that we see you as being this strong person because you were such a prodigy when you were a child and didn't understand all of this stuff so now you have to live up to that or guess what bye bitch like she has always had her feet to the fire and so to have all that pressure on a person it's like Obviously, like you can tell, she's got some anxiety and some manic behaviors and, and everything in her mind that are affecting her because of all of these things that, you know, these situations and these circumstances that she's been put in. And obviously, like it's not her fault. She was just a child when she developed, you know, these these talents and these powers. But it's like you set the expectation early that you're going to do great things. And now you're not, you know, living up to those expectations 100%. Like, well, sorry. And there's a quote from Daenerys's brother, uh, oddly enough, that she never even hears him say, but it's it applies to Daenerys and applies to Azula so well. Who can rule without wealth, fear, or love? And she knows wealth doesn't really play into the Avatar universe. Like nobody really goes into that outside of Toph just flat, like showing her papers a couple of times, being a really wealthy family, but they don't really play into that in the royalty aspect. Right. And she knows she doesn't have love. So she knows fear is the only other option. And you see Danny make that choice in Game of Thrones very clearly. And Azula made that choice so much younger because she never had the love that Danny started seeing from the Delthraki and from Sir Sir Mormon and like all of that. And it it's the same outcome. One hundred percent Azula would have raised cities on the impression that if she didn't act strongly, they would perceive her as weak. And that's the only grip on the power that she has. And just like 
kind of almost a triangle comparison to them is this the idea of like Hillary Clinton to to sort of compare to recent politics. Hillary Clinton was made into the person that people could not stand her for. I mean, like she was made into this fake politician, female politician. I mean, she was taught voice modulation and she was made to wear these boxy suits and to look and act like a man in order to be perceived as powerful. In reality, you know, her gender had nothing to do with her power. She's always been a very powerful woman, even when she was feminine. But like, they basically said, oh, no, you can't be that person. You can't be. Feminine's not electable. And, like, to to be able to be both of those things is such a hard thing. That's one thing that I love about Azula is that she actually is a pretty feminine character. Like, if you look at her her traits and, you know, kind of how she behaves – some of the things that she does are are very outrightly feminine and it's oh, she's always got her hair done she's wearing i'm pretty sure she's mm-hmm. wearing lipstick because otherwise her lips are just yeah. popping like girl yeah she asks her best friend about advice on boys like right. that just shows too like yeah she's a 14 year old girl she wants to learn how to get a she's a girl yeah Yeah. become the most powerful couple the world has ever seen (laughs) seriously that was like one of my favorite that was when i felt my own balls drop because like seeing that for the very first time it was like oh man Power she's not even looking at him as a romantic interest. She's looking at him like, hey, I like you. Would you be a good fit for my power structure? She's right. even then framing any potential mate as like, how do you help me maintain power? I fucking, I love it. I love it and, so much. And not only the mate like himself, but also the affection that she receives. Like, how am I going to put this affection to use? Like, how am I going to? And that, again, it speaks to the ambition that she has as a woman. It's like, why is this such an unacceptable thing? Like, why is it so unacceptable for a woman to marry because she wants to be in a position of, you know, a position of influence or or be in a relationship where she is influential? We're all stuck in a catch-22 where we either look like we're using somebody or we're being used. I, I don't know. That's just that's such a great point to make about her, though. God, somebody broke it down. Um, her fire color is blue, and nobody else's really is outside of the lightning, which makes sense because it's not quite the same thing. She's the only blue flame that I think we see in the entire show, and somebody went into the science of it about really the only thing that burns blue like that naturally is salt compounds. So they're like, really, Azula's flame is blue because she's such a salty bitch. And <laughs> I died because like it fits and it makes complete sense. And I wonder in it in the canon version if there's an actual reason they did her as blue or if that's just gonna be open to interpretation and that just is the one that kind of fits best. Or like did she have red fire to start and then the more she kind of fell into this this persona that did her fire change color? Like could she ever have had red fire if she'd been a little bit more balanced as a human being? It does make the the fights between her and Zuko look pretty cool, too, with the color contrast. It does. Especially after the the dragon dance episode where they have all of the colors in there. It's like, okay, like, it's definitely, like, palatable to be, like, multi-colored fires because, of course, it is. And, you know, does she, is she just more passionate and her fire burns hotter and therefore it's blue? Because that makes more sense, like, from a science perspective as well. So just Uh, to give you... um, a reference point when she is younger her fire is not blue that's amazing i love everything about that so i'm i'm gonna go ahead personally like the salty bitch is a cute one-off comment but if it's gonna be like you are more passionate about this and your fire just burns hotter i am here for that explanation that's cool as hell that's amazing uh realizations we're not even watching we've already watched the show all of us multiple times Uh, there's so there's so many moments like that though like i I know we're here just to talk about the female characters but avatar does so many things like that that it's nuance that little kids would never have seen and adults won't notice it until you watch it a second time like there's a the scene where um zuko's yelling at iroh in the cage and iroh in the prison cell and iroh won't answer him they never show iroh with bars in front of him and he's talking about you know who azuko's grandparents were and bar it goes from one side it's like yes like this side was the firebender and then it shifts to the other side and the, the side that doesn't have the scars like but your other grandfather was avatar blah 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 or whatever 
they framed that picture and it was really cool. And I noticed like, oh, you're talking about his good side. You're talking about his bad side. And I noticed that shift. But then somebody else pointed out online that like they're never show Iroh behind bars and every shot of Zuko is with the bars in between because Iroh's not the one in a cage. And I'm just like, <gasps> I hate you for making oh. me almost cry right now. It's so good. It's so good. <laughs> it's so, so good. Oh my lord. Okay. But it's it's that kind of, of nuance and just little hints at the underlying traumas and conflict within people that they do so, so well throughout that whole series. Oh my gosh, I agree, absolutely. All right, what else you got? Hit me. Um, I really feel like it's an interesting way to portray a psychotic break on children's TV. That's such a good point. Like mental illness is something that like, I think we are making a transition in this generation to talking about more, especially talking about more with children. And I think it's so important to find accurate, good representations of mental illness in children's entertainment. I think that this was a good example of what it's like to transition into psychosis and go through a break, but not only that, going through a break and not getting the help that you need. By all means, if anybody that listens to this, you know, feels like they're under pressure and feels like they are going to have, you know, some if something's got to give and you're constantly thinking that, you know, talk to somebody, try to seek help, try to seek, you know, the means to to get yourself to a better better place because you are so deserving of that no matter who you are and what you've done. The problem is, is that in the show, Azula does not get that help and she ends up in the world. She worst doesn't have anybody possible. anymore. It's the same, right. it's the same thing that took Danny down. You lost all of your people right before your very eyes. Your best friend betrayed you for your brother who you've spent the entire time trying to one up. Like your friend's side against you, your uncle's sides against you. Your dad's like, never mind, you're not coming with me. Stay here and guard the city. You're in charge. Uh, and it just you and can just see her whole support slip away. I don't think that she didn't have any choice. Like, I think that when it comes down to it, like, if she had asked Zuko for help, I think that he would have been the big brother, you know? Like, I think that he would have done it. She is too proud. She spent her whole, like, basically her whole life looking down at him. It right. would have gone so against her character to ask for his help. Although, you're I right, he would have. I mean, I think she perceives it as being too late. Like, the... If there had ever been a moment where she thought about it, I think it's when she was talking to her mom in the mirror, having basically like a schizo episode. You're alone in the room talking to your mom, kind of. And like to her, I feel like her mom and Zuko, like I think that's why she resents him so much is because her mom did favor him pretty blatantly in front of her and she knew it. But like that was the moment. And it's like, okay, but there's nobody here to back that up. If Zuko had somehow been there or Iroh had somehow been there in that moment where she's talking to herself in the mirror, that was the, the moment to save her. I think that was when she would have asked for help. She actually says something like, in the episode like in that final episode where she says something about it being too far gone and like mm -hmm. that is that is a hundred percent like the point like especially with this mental illness understand like it is never too late like you are never ever ever too late for help you're never too far gone the fact that she was afraid that she was too far gone that is the point like that is i think uh, that speaks to such a deep and accurate interpretation of mental illness in people, especially people who are cratering like right on that edge. It's that moment where Danny's like, let it be fear then. Like just, it's that decisive, like I am so far down this path. And like, at least Danny almost had John to back her up there, like almost. And I get completely why he denied her that, but he did deny her that. Right. Azula didn't even have anybody to offer that last like, reaching hand from the depths like she's drowning she's got her hand up and she knows in that moment there is nobody there so at this point i just got to take a breath and dive in she even says like so in the episode right after zuko says there's something off about her i can't explain but she's slipping and this way no one uh, else has to get hurt she says i'm sorry it has to end this way she doesn't even use the lightning until he says it and at that point, it's like she is almost egging him on to stop her somehow and make her realize it is not too late for you to turn back. And I will die 
to show you that. Like, I will die to make you understand that you are not too late to turn back from the path that you're going down. And as much as I want to go into my Zutara hole and say that, like, Zuko saved Katara because he loves her so much, clearly, I honestly want to now almost shift to the interpretation of Zuko saw that if she hurt him in that way it would be more impactful on her and it would try to pull her off of that edge that she was teetering on. Like he almost wanted to be like, I know that she loves me. I know that I am her big brother and that she really does want help, but she can't ask for it because of everything. Like I'm, I want to show her. I would almost argue that he knows Katara is a better bender and has a better chance of beating her one-to-one. And then it's a slip into familiar territory for her. The way she like absolutely is like, hey, like show me your lightning, challenge it, like let's compete. Because that's the first time she's been able, like that was the only connection they ever had was competition. And she always came out on top. So I would almost posit that that is her option. Like, oh, like I can beat Zuko. And that's my putting my foot back down into a sense of normalcy and like getting my my steady back again. If I can beat him, then everything goes back to the way that I'm used to it being that and also he like he's taking her out of her comfort zone in order to expose that like nerve okay let me pull you out of this brother sister arguing thing that we've had going on our whole lives that has put you in the mental state that you're in now let's see what happens when you're exposed to something new like I don't know, trying like a new treatment for a mental illness. Like, (laughs) I hate, like, I love that there are lines and actions in this show that are so deep. And it's obviously like, I highly doubt that I, okay, first of all, Socrates did not write the show and neither did Aristotle. But like, I, I definitely feel like there were some things that they definitely did on accident. I think that some of these moments where it's like it makes sense in the in the perspective of the story, it also oh, we're, makes- we're drawing a lot of imaginary lines dissecting some of this oh, for yeah. sure. There's no way oh, that yeah. the showrunners are like, this is definitely an allegory for Benzel. Like, I don't know yeah, that that's exactly. actually what they were doing. It just <laughs> fits like, oh, so well. Jesus friend. Right. What so- about, um, oh, sorry, go ahead, Ali. You were going to oh, say something. One thing I wanted to dissect and i think it might be on your notes too but azula's complete lack of empathy as a child i wanted and that's where i went on my little um mental illness tangent of looking up different disorders because with the very first time i ever watched it and i saw her like sheer lack of empathy i thought antisocial personality disorder which later looking at it i'm like i don't think she checks all the boxes exactly which you never really you check some but not all the boxes when it comes to mental illness humans are complex creatures we don't fit in boxes Mm -hmm. but that is something that i had initially thought because her cousin died and she's just like well uncle iroh is weak for feeling sad that his son died things like that or throwing rocks or loaves of bread at turtle ducks and showing Zuko like this is what you do you hurt these little turtle ducks that didn't do anything to you so she has like no remorse at times like no sense of right and wrong she like burns a present like the doll that her uncle gave to her and then she goes so far as like burn a flower in the garden because she didn't like the way that it was growing it wasn't growing how she liked it like, she's such a perfectionist. And I think, you think that, that started as, like, I'm going to show my dad that I don't have, like, that I don't have this weakness. Like, I'm strong, I'm strong, I'm strong. And that just then seeded into burning flowers because they aren't growing the way that I like. I wonder if it's not so much of that, but if it's trying to take back control of her own life. Because she's always been told that this is the mold that she fits into. This is what she's going to be. She's going to be great. She's never had control over that. Like, what if she never wanted to be great? Like, what if she was just wanting that because that's what she was told she should want? And her, you know, burning things and manipulating the world around her, it's the only thing that she has control over. I like that. In a lot of ways, like, Azula had less freedom than most of the people do to make her own choices. Like, she might be the most for being like pigeonholed into being like, hey, you're the assumed new leader of the Fire Nation, which is like, oh, wow, that's so progressive. A girl, it's like, hey, this is what's going to happen to you. Is that any more freedom than like, hey, you're going to go ahead and marry this prince and seal this deal between our two kingdoms? Is that in any way different as far as your own destiny? Right. So I think one good 
point on that too is sort of Ozai's Ozai putting all of this on her when she's a young girl. I don't think in his perspective it mattered that she was a girl. Like I think that it was just which one of my kids or or which one of these people, maybe it's one, maybe it's both of them, are going to show me that they want this. Oh, and if Ozai they is one hundred percent Tywin Lannister. I need to preserve my legacy. And he's also I feel like I'm gonna get my head bit off on this. I think he is more dangerous than Tywin Lannister because Tywin Lannister is a very, like, he's not a one-dimensional character, but he's very clearly doing the things that he's doing for the power that he wants. Everyone around him knows that. They know how manipulative he is. He's shrewd. Tywin Lannister never aspired for the throne. He wanted to manipulate his family line to the throne. It was never a personal gain. Right. So it was almost like, he's acting for these reasons and it's almost very hard to decipher why. Whereas like Ozai, he is subtly manipulative in a way that he manipulated Azula literally again, like from the day that she was born. Like he gave her the name of a great leader and basically built this mold for her to fit into and did not ever give her a choice of whether or not that was the one that that was what she wanted to do. He manipulated her and made her feel guilty or bad if she didn't decide that that was what she wanted. I love all of this. Do you see what I mean? You end up feeling sorry for her by the end of it. She's a bitch the entire time. Like she is purposefully mean and vindictive and rude and just awful. And she blatantly lies and she's like, oh yeah, this will be fine. Fuck you. Like she's the worst character the entire time. And I have the most pity for her out of anybody. Let's talk a little bit about how she treats her friends. Because oh, when she basically ruins Ty Lee's aspirations to be a circus performer because it's not what she wants. So she just makes it really awful. Not only that, but so she also, to my specifically, like she actually strips Mai's, was it her father? May. Or, her, or May, sorry. I keep calling her Mai. I don't know why. Her father or her uncle, do you remember who she stripped? She stripped the title of somebody who was a governor. I think it was her father because her uncle was the warden. Her father was the the mayor or the governor of Omashu. Yeah. And also she, when her May's little brother was accidentally kidnapped by Momo and they oh, were yeah. doing the um, kind of the, the trade off boomy for this baby she was like this doesn't seem like a fair trade a two-year-old there wasn't that like it's my friend's baby brother it was like that cold manipulation yep and it also you know in the example of like she pushed Tylee down when they were like playing around in the garden when they were younger and like Tylee did a cartwheel and Azula couldn't do it so Azula just pushed her down and then there's also some interesting imagery as well she actually in some scenes she rides a palanquin instead of just walking by her like 20 feet and then harangues the people carrying it about how they're not going fast enough she sees them as pawns on her chessboard for her to just use but then again there's also some like we can't, you can't say that there's not affection there though because like she's really hurt when they turn on her and when they're all having their come to little come Jesus moment I guess at the fire on Ember Island oh yeah there is a moment where I think it was Ty Lee was talking about they're, they're all talking about things that they felt inadequate about with childhood I think Ty Lee was talking about and she has like all the siblings and it's like oh I didn't even know that but wow. that makes sense why you're like I have attention and I'm special look at how quirky I am because I have to stand out She's like one of like a quintuplets or something like that or something crazy. I don't know. Azula kind of like glances at her in this um, it's not her normal like cold stare but she looks at her with the expression of a concerned friend but then when somebody turns to look at her she's back to her stony face self but it's kind of an interesting glimpse into who she could have been without being raised with this kind of manipulation by Ozai and that maybe is where antisocial personality disorder wouldn't fit as well if she has that underlying capability to emphasize or feel emotion for others but she's so it's so buried within her that we only really get that little glimpse of it when she just glances a look at her friend who's pouring her heart out to everyone and she quickly backs away from that i really do exactly she perceives it to be weak because that's her dad has been the epitome of power and he has never once been emotional about anything the only thing he's passionate about is the power. And for her, she fights against her own human nature so much to quell that because 
that's weak and dad can't see me be weak because yeah. then I'm Zuko. Yeah, and she he pits them again. I mean, with that whole, she was born lucky and you were lucky to be born. Like, that was further manipulation. Mm. He was pitting his kids against each other. Yeah. Well, because he 100% was okay, like, murdering his own father to get the throne. Like, he's, like, only the strong will survive. Like, Ozai is absolutely He was going to murder Zuko. He even said later, I I was asked to do the unthinkable, and I was going to go through with it, but your mother begged for your life. Yeah, that's the whole reason. I don't know. Kendra, were you aware of that or no? Oh, yeah. No, like, they that that was the trade of punishment because he had tried to undermine Iris claim the throne. Azula's response so interesting when she overhears everything and Zuko had run off and she waltzes in like dad's gonna kill you yeah just that disconnect of what it would actually no, mean if her he's brother really gonna died. kill you <laughs> she just thinks it's like oh haha dad's gonna kill you but not wow he wants to actually murder my sibling yeah <laughs> how about the um how about the azula always lies I I find it so interesting that I don't think Azula always lies. I actually think that Azula is one of the most honest characters on the show. Like, she actually, like, she's not lying about most of the things, like, mostly everything. She's just telling it like it is. She's so blunt. (laughs) She is. She's super blunt. Except for when she says she's a platypus bear. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which I like that she's like, I can demonstrate how easily I can lie. Top's like, well, shit. (laughs) No, it's I appreciate so many characteristics about Azula and I I hate that they embodied them in a, a quote unquote evil character because it's like, hey, like I kinda like a woman who's like, Yeah, I'm not gonna fucking mince words or be nice for the sake of being nice because why would I? That's not what I want, it doesn't help me. I'm not gonna play word games or sugarcoat shit. I like that directness. I wish more women were able to do that without coming across as like, wow, what an aggressive bitch. And that's but and like that plays into the character, and I feel like it fits. So that's not them doing it just to be like, well, she's a forward-thinking, outspoken woman. No, no, she's crazy and she's having a mental breakdown. But it's I wish there was a way to do that and have women do that where it is not tied right, into like negativity. tied into the whole again, like the idea of it of you being a bitch, like, or a boss. Or crazy and she needs to go down. Right, Come like on, some girl. insanity of Mary Gerard yeah. shit. Like, I I like having that bluntness and that honesty of Azula's character to be so refreshing. And I think that it's such a crazy, like, accurate... It's a very timely interpretation to think of the Azula always lies kind of perspective that everyone takes in the show whereas she's not actually lying the thing is is people are just trying to convince themselves almost that she's lying about everything that she's like not willing to tell the truth because they don't want to believe the truth they don't want to believe that things are you know either as bad or as good as she's saying that they are one thing that i i just like in looking at the transcripts of that episode where they're all at the beach my specific or may specifically i'm always gonna say my i don't know why um may specifically is is talking to her saying i was a rich child or rich only child who got anything i wanted as long as i behaved i sat still and didn't speak unless spoken to my mother said i had to keep out of trouble we had my dad's political career to think of and azula says well that's it then you have a controlling mother who had certain expectations and if you strayed from them you were shut down that's why you're afraid to care about anything and why you can't express yourself. And she says that. I was like, are we still talking it's, about me yes. or are we talking about you? Like, that was the closest thing she ever came to being honest about a deep personal misgiving that she had with her friends. But she still can't even acknowledge the weakness and not being able right. to acknowledge that that's me. Like, that's Azula's actual weakness. And it's 100% the strength that she thinks she has. It's it's an, a right. great oxymoron. Uh, and even uh, just looking at the transcript right now, like, <laughs> I like there's so many things about Ty Lee I want to say. She literally is like, too much negativity is bad for your skin. And then Zuko goes off about how normal teenagers worry about bad skin and he doesn't have that luxury. And it's like, yeah. He's like, I got that like, permanent bad skin. Yeah, I got other like, shit to do. Tylee also doesn't really care that much about bad skin. She's just saying things that uh, just gets so deep into she's, her. She's just it's trying like, to be supportive. It's just her like emotional arc. Like Tylee is. 100%. Now we can, we can dive into Tylee. They kind, they kind of feed into Azula a little bit. Like Tylee wants so badly for everybody to like her 
she like she wants so bad to be like I want you to like me Tylee the individual whatever that takes how much attention I need I have to be an individual in your eyes and I will do whatever I need to gain that like she just literally right up until May decides to turn traitor in favor of Zuko like Tylee's like everything's terrible like you're actually ruining my life but you're my friend and you're paying attention yeah, her, to me so I'll go with perspective. it do you have any idea what my home life was like growing up with six sisters who look exactly like me it was like I didn't even have my own name. I joined the circus because I was scared of spending the rest of my life as a part of a matched set. Circus freak is a compliment. Holy fuck. Like, that's, that is just such a, like, that is a perspective on, like, the Barbie doll idea of women. Like, you have to stand out in a world where you are expected to look the same as, like, everybody else. Like, you are expected to take on the same image of a beautiful woman if you want to be, like, a beautiful, successful woman if you want to be beautiful and successful. It's like Frida Kahlo was not the, you know, expected image of a beautiful, successful woman but she was still a beautiful and successful woman in what she did. It's the idea of us painting people into boxes where we cannot see the, the trees for the forest. It's I, uh, It just speaks to me on such a deep level. I just hate this show and I love it so much. No, it's, it's great. They really do. It's that first pass like, oh, that was an enjoyable experience. And then you start taking it apart and it just becomes like, holy crap. There's so much lying beneath that surface if you really want to dig into it. It's so well done. And again, this is a kids show on Nickelodeon from like fucking 2010. Let's just rewatch all of our Amazing. all of the kids shows that we watched when we were younger and take oh, them apart gosh. bit by bit. You say that like I've ever stopped Actually, watching. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I've never stopped watching Sailor Moon. I still watch all of the Sailor Says when I feel down about myself. It's funny because like I was talking to Jane a little bit earlier today. Jane, who um, you guys will hopefully hear on some later episodes. We were talking about some horror movies and I brought up Ari Aster and Midsummer and Hereditary and possibly doing some deep dives onto the, the ladies in those movies. And she said said, I don't know if I can actually ever watch them because they're so emotional. And she's like, I think I'd honestly need therapy. I'm like, I understand because of how emotional those shows, like those movies are. It's like, yes, it's a horror movie, but like look beneath the surface and you will see parts of yourself in the story that scare you because you've never had to face it before and like that I think is is one reason why interpreting Azula in just a way of oh she's the villain is such a you're you're denying yourself the experience of seeing yourself in a different way and you're denying your experience of seeing the quote-unquote villain of the story in a different perspective we're taught our whole lives to see certain people as the villains never to look beneath the surface Whereas if we just even take like the tiniest toe and dip it into the lake of Azula, it's like, oh, holy crap. There is so much here that is like anyone can relate to her as a person, which is why one of the reasons why her character is so strong and so powerful. And I'm just like falling more in love with her the more we talk about <laughs> Right? No, that's what I was like. I It's weird to be like, hey, you know, like the complete asshole of the entire series who ends up like in prison with a mental breakdown she's my personal favorite like out of all the good wholesome like cool characters that there are there's a plethora 100 i have to i really think i've landed on zula is my favorite avatar the last airbender character i feel like watching avatar the last airbender when you're a child is excellent training for watching game of thrones when you become an adult <laughs> like, oh 100 like literally at, before genocide after genocide holy shit yeah that's 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 a deep cut like show don't play <laughs> show the show don't play <laughs> i want to dive into kind of her story arc and the idea of redemption arcs overall because that is an argument that you see constantly from fans of the show is why didn't azula get this redemption arc like why didn't she get to you know why didn't we get to see azula become a, a good and powerful character and there are so many answers to that question none of which are yes and none of which are no but i did find this amazing tidbit from this article on medium.com that was written by I don't even I wouldn't even really say it's an article it's almost just like a commentary on Azula and it's 
just a kind of a short, short interpretation about her. We know that the series ends with her going insane and being sent to an asylum. I'm not counting the comics here because when I watched it, there was no comic yet. However, I couldn't accept that. For me, she was just too much of a good character to be wasted like that. She could have some sort of redemption, but keeping her bad habits and sharp personality and use her evil powers to do something great with her life. In my mind, she and Zuko would rebuild their relationship and she would end up being his advisor. But that's a story for another hour. The thing is, as I imagine a better story for Azula, I started to imagine a better story for myself. Not that my life was horrible back then, but just like any teenager, I had my problems and drama. So if I believed someone like her could have a happy ending, I myself could also live a great life. Just like I imagined her learning with her mistakes and accepting that she wasn't perfect and that was okay, and learning to love herself after that, I started to try to do the same thing myself, and I keep doing that until today because it's not exactly easy. Just like I imagined her keeping her personality and using her dark side for good and to improve herself, I could do so. I could accept that I had my bad side and I could use it to make things better. And all of that helped me to realize that I loved being myself, good and bad. It's such a good interpretation of her because, no, she doesn't get a redemption arc in the show, but I think it leaves so much to the imagination of the viewer and to imagination of the fan that, like, you know, what if this happens afterwards? And and even in the, you know, even in the comics, we get a little bit of, of a glimpse into what her life was like after that. It goes to show that you don't have to redeem yourself and that redemption is not something that is required of you for you to still love yourself. I would also posit that you have to want or ask for that redemption, which is not a step we ever see Azula take. The closest was that whole situation in the mirror, but there was nobody physically actually there for her in that moment. And then she regresses. So it's like you have to kind of work back to understanding that this is a shortcoming and not my greatest weapon, which is how she's still kind of viewing it, I think, by the end of the series. And also as far as like what are we going to define a redemption arc as? Are we defining it as she joins Team Avatar or are we defining it as she learns to find some peace within herself? She can reestablish relationships with people who are close to her and just learn to live her own life with the realization that she is a human and can be a human and reconnect with that humanity in her that she had ignored for so long, believing it to be a weakness. Yeah. So are we considering like redemption arc to the whole like story on the whole or just towards her as her own stable person? I would say her own stable person. I can't imagine Azula like being a doting mother, like or babysitting or being like a kindergarten teacher. Like that's not who she's ever been. And I wouldn't expect that in any way. Like that would be a betrayal of the character. I think, um, I, I definitely would think that it's more of like, who, what do you actually want? That's not what your dad has always told you you're going to be. Who are you? What are your goals? What are your personal aspirations? And that's never something she's allowed to have and never something that she's even told as an option. So I would really be interested to see Azula come to terms with, oh shit, I can be like the same way that Zuko does really. It's like, I am in charge of my own destiny. Like I am in charge of my own honor by fulfilling what my destiny is, which is determined by what I want. Like all of that falls into the line. They have the same journey to take. Iroh just helped get Zuko on his like Zuko is the same fucking person as Azula at the beginning they just hate each other Iroh needs to spend some good quality time with Azula and be like you need to ask yourself the bigger questions like who are you and what give that bitch some tea I can can almost argue that Azula needs a life changing field trip with Zuko (laughs) (laughs) right (laughs) at this point I think once he's like fire lord like hey like there you go emulate this fire lord god there was a great meme about uh, the parallels between like Batman and Zuko and like if Batman ran into Zuko he would basically adopt him and start like oh you're my new sidekick and then how much fun Iroh and Alfred would have talking about oh how they're basically God. like, yeah, like our dramatic adopted children. He's like, oh, like, you know, Master Wade, like super dramatic. And he's like, yeah, Zuko thinks he's not dramatic. I told him that he had some internal struggle. He yelled at me and then went on top of a mountain to scream at God to hit him with lightning. <laughs> I uh, I love that. 
I, it's um, perfect. And that's exactly what Azula is. She just screams at the world, anybody in it, like, hit me with your lightning. What do you got? You got nothing. Like, I'm better than everyone. Like, she has that outward-facing struggle with everyone she interacts with until she can establish dominance. Right. And not only that, but, like, no one ever hits back at her. Like, no one ever answers the call to her. You beat me at my own game. You were never even a player. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I love that line, too. My kind of, like, interpretation of her um, redemption arc it has, like, two facets of it. Um, one was I one that I never actually even thought about. But the first one is that, obviously, her actions and attitudes shouldn't be, like, emulated. Uh, but she is, like, at a struggle with herself and allows that struggle to, like, happen publicly instead of bottling it up. It's very much like Yennefer Wengerberg, for example, who we'll, we'll get into. She's told all her life to bottle things away. And, and bottle up her emotion and you know in the end it's like forget the bottle let the chaos explode that's been Azula's entire life like she has just been letting the chaos explode and has been able to publicly express these feelings in that form of that aggression and that ambition and that anger that's the only way that she's ever been told is okay to express them so she's getting them out she's just not getting them out in any way that's constructive or healthy to her and kind of with that argument I feel like she doesn't necessarily need a redemption arc but I think she deserves one just because she's never really been given the chance to like become a better version of herself. And the other interpretation of it, I, I was reading a blog article from the Female Fortitude Blogspot blog entitled The Almost Fire Lord. And it basically goes into the idea of a redemption arc, Ozai's abuse of Azula. And what is super interesting is kind of one of the last tidbits of it, where the author states, The man is afforded the possibility of redemption, while the girl is denied it. But more importantly, the abuser is offered the opportunity to make good while his victim is left to cope with the consequences of his abuse. And I think that speaks such volumes to the idea that Azula doesn't get a redemption arc as a victim. And this is almost just a very blatant in-your-face representation of how victims of abuse are treated. Like, you don't get the redemption arc. Ugh. It, it kills me, the, the parallels to draw between that idea and, for example, Brock Turner and Chanel Miller. Like, you know, she didn't, <sighs> she didn't get a redemption arc until she gave her all of her personal life to the world like she literally had to step up and say i am a victim of assault this is my real name these are all the personal gory disgusting details of what happened to me are you fucking happy you know again we are still in quarantine and we have been in quarantine longer than brock turner was ever in jail you still have to google brock turner's assault victim when you're looking for chanel Miller's name like that is just the blatant parallel between the two is that he got the redemption arc and she didn't and oh I got the yeah, I, I would argue a little bit that that Chanel is not a public figure and it sucks that she had to do that and I don't know that that's a thing she would have wanted to do so I, I like I appreciate the angle you're taking there I don't know that I want to draw that direct of a line because like I want to know that guy so that if I ever am in charge of hiring I know who the fuck he is so that I don't hire him like that kind of like hey like you should be named and shamed because you're an awful person you made awful decisions and then you weren't contrite about it never once has there been an earnest apology there in any way like you've served your time and you're gonna act like you're just gonna go back to your regular fucking life having never admitted that you did anything wrong and you want to start talking to people about fucking abstinence like fuck all the way off Azula, to a degree, never gets that redemption arc as a victim, but like never, like she never asked for it in the same way, but also like she was in charge of a city and like taking over like giant cities. So, like, I, I didn't. I get your point, but I don't know that I want to draw that, that direct of a line of, like, we don't know Chanel Miller's name. I wish we didn't. I wish we, for for fuck's sake, I wish justice would have been served without her having to do that because that just makes it so much worse for her. Again, it's to me, like, it's the concept of a man being afforded that redemption arc and being afforded that Ozai was able to not necessarily redeem himself, which actually, yes, he was 
given the opportunity to redeem himself if you really you know fuck ozai 100 percent fuck him he still like he got ripped and just would not even acknowledge that he did anything wrong ozai still thinks he's right ozai is hitler and then azula was never really given that opportunity still and even through the comics and even through you know everything that kind of occurred after after the the series ended it's like she's never given the opportunity to kind of make up not necessarily for the wrongs of her life but to kind of give more perspective into herself as a person which yeah i would like azula to be afforded the opportunity to understand that that wasn't the right path ozai is solid that that's what the right thing to do was and he's not backing down from that she was teetering and that's where things ended so her feelings with or her feelings about her brother and like her relationship with zuko how how do we think about her manipulation of zuko did she really care about him because like there was a point i mean she was sent to bring him home she gave him the opportunity to come peacefully and he kind of refused. And- I think she always ultimately looked at Zuko as competition. Mm-hmm. And in the frenzied state of I have to be the ultimate winner, that equates to an enemy. Yeah. Like she would manipulate him and use him when it solved. Like when she gets him to turn on Aang, that's 100% not Azula giving a shit about what happens to Zuko. Because you see her being like, oh yeah, he killed him. I'm giving you all the credit because I'm kind of thinking maybe you didn't. And I don't want to get in trouble for not finishing the job. Like she manipulates him and he is a tool if he is not the enemy. He's never really an equal or anybody that she's working with. It would be really nice to see them work together. I just love the thought of them like eventually building a sibling relationship. So I, I want that. I know. <laughs> like when he she falls when they're fighting at the airbender temple and he's like, of course. Like, of course she fucking lives through that. Like, I love that reaction. His just resignation to like, yep, she's just that good. Damn it. I, I always thought it was interesting. He's like, like, he seems sad when he thinks she died. But then he sees that she lived and he's disappointed. Yeah. It cracks me up. Because there's no, he's like, my life is definitely going to be easier now. But also that was my sister. Oh, good. My sister's alive. But fuck, my life is still really complicated. (laughs) Oh, good. She's alive. But fuck my sister. I think it's kind of funny. Like they have a very complicated, obviously, relationship. And I think a lot of it is kind of polluted by their viewpoints of their parents. I think it's always very funny, like the gender parallels there. You've the father who dotes on the, you know, daughter and the mother that dotes on the older son. And just the lack of having those representations of themselves in a family figure, like lack of being able to access another male figure that is powerful and that is you know a guiding figure or a female care like a you know a female figure that is guiding and and a good figure in your life i think that having kind of those flip-flopped back and forth was a really almost a smart way to to put a spin on the gender roles of family in the show because they could have very easily have had Zuko being the more powerful one of the two and Zuko being the one who, you know, didn't struggle as much. And they very, they very much could have had those gender roles flipped pretty easily and the show just still work perfectly fine. But to me, the idea that they did flip them and and it's, you know, it was actually the, the young prince who struggled a lot more than the princess. I thought that that was a really solid, purposeful contribution to the show. I think the age is interesting too. Instead of the oldest child being the perfect one and the younger one is the yeah. like, oh, you suck. It was the opposite. Like the younger kid was the favorite and the firstborn was cast aside. Yeah. Which we find out later too, there was a bit of manipulation on Ozai's part to decide to cast Yuko aside when he was still a baby. I, I guess I'm not sure how much spoiler I should put in here. Um, Kendra, are you ever going to read the comics? I, at this point, I feel like I'm a decade behind when all of this came out. So, like, I probably will, but it's completely fair game at this point. You're fine. It's the two-week so, rule. It's and, been two weeks since it came out. You haven't seen it yet. You're like, I sat on Endgame spoilers for goddamn near a month because I am respectful, and that is the most you will ever get from me. So, a decade is a little much to ask of people. I get that. And I haven't even read the comics this far, but I saw a video on it because I... After I was done with the show, I'm like, what happened to Zuko's mom? So I watched a... Is this from The Chase? Is that what you're going to talk about? I think so, okay. yeah. Um, About how Ursa wanted to see if Ozai was reading her letters that she was sending to mm-hmm. her yeah. her lover. And 
So she puts in there that Zuko is his son. And even though she admits to Ozai that that explains everything. <laughs> but Ozai knows that's not true. He knows that Zuko is his flesh and blood. Ozai's not a balanced person. <laughs> oh my God, that explains everything. I love everything about that. Yeah, 100%. Because- that's exactly why Tywin Lannister fucking hated Tyrion. Oh my God. Ozai is Tywin. Oh, yeah. Ozai is but basically Tywin. He's like, because then she says, I wish Zuko was not your son. So he's like, okay, then I'm going to treat him like he's not. And that just shows how evil Ozai is. I mean, fuck, Zuko was a, such, would have been a baby at that point. And then I guess I wonder how things would have changed if she hadn't written the letter that way. If he, if he would have valued Zuko more and not done so much of that pitting the children against each other. Or if a lot of that was because of that letter. Yeah. Or would he have raised the two kids to be his two perfect little minions? In Korra, there's a character who has a, two children, a boy and a girl, and he uses them as his minions for his evil world domination plot that I won't give spoilers on right now. Ozai probably could have done that with Zuko and Azula, but because he knew that Ursa wished Zuko hadn't been his kid because he forced her into a marriage when she'd already been engaged to someone else, he was salty about that because he wanted Ursa to be his and only his because he's a possessive, abusive freak so then he decided to just pit the kids against each other and hate zuko and azula's the golden child and so and just to give you some context kendra in the chase um that is the comic i believe that takes place after the promise where they go and they do end up finding ursa and at this point she has been transformed by this spirit called the mother of faces and she doesn't have any recollection of her previous life as the fire lord's wife or the fire lady she doesn't know who her kids are she's like married she has another daughter named kiyi and she loves this young girl i mean like she literally is just living a totally different life and she actually does she remembers azula i believe like because azula comes and like attacks her and she actually apologizes to Azula and says, I'm sorry that I didn't love you enough. And it gets, you know, like, it, it just kind of dives into um, the idea of, of Azula's love with her mother and, and how she really did. She loved her mother and she was very angry that her mother didn't, you know, show the same affection towards her in the same way that she showed Zuko. And I wonder, too, if Ursa was making up a bit in a way because she knew she may have felt guilty that Ozai hated Zuko so much because it and yeah. it's not her fault. Yeah. She was in an abusive relationship, but like her actions set the domino effect kind of of Ozai taking his horribleness, his anger at her, his anger at not possessing her fully on Zuko. So her, a lot of her affection seems to be in part to make up for that. And also in part because she and Zuko just seem more alike in a way, like just personality-wise, yeah. you get kids who take after one parent more than another, and that also contributed, I think. And that would have been naturally a, a way for them to bond, but also that guilt of how much Ozai hated him and how he treated him. And then Azula had Ozai's, the apple of his eye, as much as he can have that, because he's a horrible person. But I wonder, too, if it's like because Ozai, again, with the possession with him, like, I wonder if it's because maybe deep down in his mind, like there was a point when he thought that maybe Zuko wasn't his, that he had kind of lost that child that wasn't his child anymore. So he didn't want it because it wasn't his. But he knew that Azula, who came after Zuko, was his for sure. So, you know, there's that maybe that moment of oh well this one is mine i'm not gonna fuck this one up and i'm going to make sure that this is the full-on representation and continuation of my legacy you know making sure that she is gonna be the one to carry on the bloodline because he knows that she's his child 100 percent. i like all of this i i have no insight <laughs> in this because this is all fresh information for me and i'm just sitting here like digesting it like yes yes give me more <laughs> i think that that's like all of the like azula story arc that happens because i don't think there's anything in cora but i could be wrong no she's not really mentioned in cora you see a little bit of zook Zuko or Zook Zook, I like to call him. Zook Zook. Yeah. Zuzu. <laughs> Kazuzu. 
Zook Zook just sounds like somebody who's growing a vegetable garden trying to sound cool about it. I got my Zook Zooks over here with my mm. organic cabbage. So Dante Bosco voices um, young General Iroh, Zook Zooks, Zuko's um, grandson. And oh when I gosh. first heard his voice, I got so excited. I'm like, it's Zook Zook. And Craig is like, no, it's not Zook Zook. It's Iroh. New Zook Zook. <laughs> so I, I showed, okay, Kendra. Allie had no idea what Hook was. Like the Peter Pan movie? Yes. And now I want to watch it. I still haven't seen it, but I need to. And you know, you know. I saw it in theaters, if that gives you any indication of the last time I saw that movie. You know who is in that, right? You know that that's Dante Basco. Are you telling, wait, are you telling me Rufio is, what? Rufio is Zuko. Oh, <laughs> the pain that I just heard. did not know this. Yes, Rufio is Zuko. Wow, <laughs> oh. Zuki. Oh, <laughs> so many feelings right now. You over it? Well, today we learned. I hope you all did too. <laughs> today we learned. I think, uh, I think that. I mean, for me, anyways, that kind of wraps it up for Azula. I don't know about you guys. She's an underrated, undersung. Give that bitch a redemption arc and let her flames go back to orange. Yeah, sing it. That would be that would be the coolest. Like if we got like a post. Or what if they? I mean, there was a lot of colors in that dragon dance scene. What if they become purple, guys? Oh my god! It's a combination of red and blue. It- purple flame. <laughs> purple flame. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this is definitely the inebriated episode. We're going to play these back to back, right? We're going to have the sober. We're all too nervous. What are we doing? Is this like we have so much to talk about Katara? And then we get to this point where we're like, Azula is, she's done dirty and it's not fair. And she's the epitome of mental illness for little kids. Nobody talks about it. Let's sing some Prince. Oh, God. All right. Well, I think that about wraps it up right now for Azula. And right now for our Avatar The Last Airbender characters, um, we definitely plan to revisit them. Um, I will probably be having Ali around to do a nice Teach Me episode on Legend of Korra character Jinora. I love Jinora. Well, Iki doesn't get as much of an arc, but I still love her. But Jonora, yes, she is bae. So what I'm hearing is Liz get on this core train with me and we need to watch it fairly simultaneously so we can freak the fuck out and then come back to Allie. And she's like, yes, my children, I told you. (laughs) Yes, come to me. And I think we would like to potentially do Toph in the future, too, because there are so many things that I have to say about Toph. We're going to have to plan a whole day around Toph. Oh, Oh my my God. There's so much. I I almost feel like I want more you mean to say that like you want to get your opinionated friends in a room to talk about their opinions for hours on end? <laughs> Didn't I start a podcast to do something kind of similar to that? I don't know. Maybe. Mind blown. Mind blown. We and could also the- eventually do one on Cora, I suppose. I guess. She's <laughs> only the namesake of the series. That's fine. Oh, we could also talk about Kiyoshi once we read the Kiyoshi. Yes. yes. I'm about the tall bitch life. Thank you so much for listening to The Damsels Podcast. If you've enjoyed the show, check us out on Instagram or on our Patreon page for exclusive bonus content. Our music is by Kevin McLeod, and our cast, crew, and executive producers are Jane Barton, Kendra Buckmaster, Ali Dowdy, Christine Hinckley, Cassini Newland, Ariel Piven, Heather Schoberg, and myself, Elizabeth Riley. Equipment provided by Gordy Wilcox. Special thanks to our good friend, comedian, and rampant feminist disguised as a huggable grizzly bear, Brian Fox, for lending a hand.